Hi everyone, welcome back to the History in 20 podcast again. Thanks for tuning in. So uh, today we're talking about Charlemagne. So if you've heard of him or haven't heard about him, well, hopefully you'll find out a bit today. So I'll start off a bit with just a quick sort of overview of his personal profile. So he was born, well, for a start, we don't actually know. So he was born on, we know he was born on the 2nd of April and it was either in the year 742, 747 or 748 in the Frankish kingdom, which I'll put some maps up later on throughout the video so we'll be able to visualise it, but it's pretty much in somewhere in modern-day France. Um, he died on the 28th of January, 814, aged 65, 66 or 71, in Aachen in Francia, which is, of course, now in modern-day Germany. Uh, he had, as for his reign, really, he reigned as King of the Franks from the 9th of October, 768, to the 28th of January, 814, as King of the Lombards from 10th of July 774 to the 28th of January 814, and as Holy Roman Emperor from the 25th of December, Christmas Day, 800, to 28th of January 814. So all these different reigns will hopefully like make sense as I talk through uh, his life and reign and stuff. So he had four marriages. Uh, he was married four times uh, to De Desiderata, don't know how to pronounce it, apologies, they were married for a year. Then Hildegard of Vinsgau, again, apologies for the pronunciation, Fastrada and Leetgard. And he had he had like four notable children, well, legitimate children, I suppose. Uh, Pepin the Hunchback, Charles the Younger, Pepin of Italy, and Louis the Pious. And he had roughly about 18 children in total, and he was part of the Carolinian dynasty. So if you hear that term Carolinian mentioned throughout, or the Carolines, that's who I'm referring to, it's his family. Like, like I did with the Plantagenets, it's the same thing. Uh, so we'll start with his early life from circa 742 to about 770. So he was called Charlemagne, he was also known as Charles the Great or Charles I, and he was King of the Franks from 768, as I said, King of the Lombards from 774, and the Holy Roman Emperor from 800. But how did he get there in the first place? So, first of all, there's actually debate about when Charlemagne was even born. So, it's often assumed that he was born in either of those aforementioned years, 742, 47 or 48. Um, but his, we know that his father was the first Carolinian king of the Franks, Pepin the Short. He reigned from 751 to 68. Uh, and the debate largely relies around the fact that we don't know about when he was born properly because if he was born in 742, it means he would have been born out of wedlock, which is something that was completely unacceptable for a king in medieval Europe. So that's why I think there's a lot of debate about this, whether he didn't want to admit or his historians and biographers didn't want to admit, but we don't know. But what we do know is that either way, Charlemagne was born at some point during the 740s in the Frankish kingdom. Now, unfortunately, there isn't actually much evidence from his early years. Uh, we do know that he was the eldest child of Pepin the Short and his wife, Bertrada of Leon, and he had a younger brother called Carloman, so Charlemagne and Carloman, not confusing at all, right? Uh, and he co-ruled with Charlemagne as Carloman I from 768 to 71. So we'll fast forward to the, uh, shall we say, the tumultuous period in the late 760s, where Pepin the Short had decided before his death to split up his kingdom between his two sons, Charlemagne and Carloman. Now, this was never going to work when, obviously, both of his sons were both fighting for the crown and neither one wanted to rule jointly with the other. So after roughly three years of quarrelling with one another, Carloman was dead. Now, there's a contemporary report that suggested he died of a bad nosebleed. So, I mean, 
he probably did have a bad nosebleed from lots of wounds inflicted to his face, but that's what the report said, he died of a bad nosebleed. Now, ignoring these suspicious circumstances surrounding Carloman's death, Charlemagne clearly wasted no time in seizing what he viewed as his right for lands. So in 771, he took away lands from Carloman's two young sons, who weren't old enough to actually challenge him for it, and then he combined it with his own inheritance, which was mostly in modern-day Belgium and Germany. So now Charlemagne is clearly ready to take on Europe, and you might be able to see that from the map I've put up on the screen. should be up on the screen now. So let's move on to his early conquests, which I've sort of pieced together from about 770 to roughly 780. So these were arguably the most adventurous years of Charlemagne's life. So he started by, like I said, he united together the two halves of his father's realm, which were gifted to himself and Carloman, which uh, <clears throat> in, sorry, in uh, medieval terms referred to Neustria and Austrasia, not Austria or Australia. <laughs> in uh, medieval European geographical terms, like I said. So ultimately, this stretched from his Frankish kingdom from the Danube River right over to the Atlantic Ocean in an east-west direction and from the Netherlands to province in a north-south direction. So huge swathes of territory he's got that's all his now. Now, his next major campaign took him south towards Italy where he conquered Lombardy, south of the Alps. So if you remember, I mentioned he was king of the Lombards. Well, this is where he came into Lombardy, south of the French Alps. So from winter 773 to summer 774, he managed to consolidate a hold over this kingdom. He was crowned King of the Lombards on 10th of July 774. So upon seeing how easy he'd made this mission, a contemporary chronicle has actually reported that other Germanic tribes beyond the Elbe River in Central Europe paid homage to Charlemagne just to avoid his conquest because of how successful and brutal he was, although many of them still remained pagan because Charlemagne was a staunch Catholic. So, in the following year, in 775, Charlemagne begun the long conquest of Saxony, which was arguably his hardest conquest, and he eventually succeeded in converting the Saxons to Catholicism, but it did take him until 804 to fully subdue them. So almost 30 years. Now, the next section I decided to talk about is, I wanted to give a bit of a cultural insight into his life in case anyone's interested in that, because I know it's no, sometimes it's always battles and fighting and stuff and that's not everyone's cup of tea so I thought I'll have a look into the uh, cultural aspect of him hopefully some people will find that interesting so I've sort of divided this next section I've decided to call it the father of Europe and courtly life so circa 770 to about 800 AD now amongst all of the fighting which he almost constantly did throughout his reign uh, Charlemagne's court was sophisticated so for instance it was actually in this court that the ancient term of Europe was revived now the Carolinians needed a term to describe the section of the known world which they dominated and more importantly they needed a term which distinguished themselves from the pagan lands of central and eastern Europe it distinguished themselves from Byzantium and from Christendom as a whole now the historian Norman Davies argues that this first Europe therefore was an ephemeral Western concept which lasted no longer than Charlemagne himself. But even so, this plays a large part into why Charlemagne is often referred to as the father of Europe, because not only has he actually brought all of his like kingdoms together, but he's actually decided to coin this term as Europe. Uh, now, in addition to this, Charlemagne was an enthusiastic builder. So he built palaces all across his realm, including Nijmegen, Engelheim and Aachen. Now, he also built bridges over the Rhine at Mainz and linked together the tributaries of the Rhine and the Danube with a canal that was known as the Kaisergab. Uh, 
on top of this, he was a pioneer of Romanesque architecture north of the Alps because he brought these architectural influences from Lombardy across the mountain range into northwestern Europe. Now, he sought to make his capital of Aachen a northern Rome, according to historian Simon Jenkins. So he based his Palatine Chapel on St. Vital in Ravenna, and he begged the Pope for mosaics from Ravenna to adorn it. So he's looking in, onto Rome as this cultural and architectural masterpiece, and he wants to make his capital of Aachen in, like I said, northern, sort of modern-day Germany. He wants to make it a new Rome, almost. Um, what else do we have about him, or do we know about him? Well, he was a patron of education and learning, but despite this, he himself was actually illiterate, which is quite surprising. Someone who's so such a sort of patron of education that he's actually illiterate. But one of his most famous scholars was an English monk, Alcuin of York, who was around from 735 to 804. Now, Alcuin became head of Arkin's palace school, as well as Charlemagne's spiritual advisor, and he presided over what became what came to be known in history as the Carolinian Renaissance. So, obviously, we know about or heard about the Renaissance in Europe in the 17th century, Da Vinci and uh, Michelangelo and all that. But this was known as the Carolinian Renaissance, and it happened in the 9th century, 8th and 9th century. Uh, but yeah, so Charlemagne, as we'll see later, governed the church as an integral part of his domains. Now, some historians call him hypocritical for some of his actions, because while he forbade his bishops to engage in battle personally, the way he spread the gospel through his kingdoms he conquered was through fire and sword. So, a bit hypocritical, but which medieval rulers weren't there? So, that's all the fun of it, I suppose. So, uh, the next section I've divided up divided it up into is called Holy Roman Emperor and Later Years. So, this is from about 788 to 814. So, after he finished conquering, conquering Bavaria in 788, the west of Charlemagne's empire was relatively secure, and it gave him chance to turn his attentions to problems elsewhere, notably in the east. So, over in Byzantium, the Emperor Leo IV had died, leaving his consort, Empress Irene, in charge. Now, this was the main problem. Irene was sitting in as consort until her son Constantine VI was of age, because he was still a minor, he wasn't 16 yet. And the main problem in the West was that a woman was in charge of the Byzantine Empire, which was something absolutely unfathomable to most medieval kings. Now, Irene also called the Second Council of Nicaea, or Nicaea, in 787, which condemned iconoclasm. Now, iconoclasm is the use of imagery and icons in the Catholic Church, and she condemned this as heretical. Charlemagne was irritated that he himself had not been called to the council, so he demanded an explanation from Pope Adrian I. But before Adrian could respond, Charlemagne ordered his theologians to produce a defensive iconoclasm, which came to be known as the Libra Carolini. Now, due to this, his relationship with Adrian I was strained, but this cloud eventually passed and both were on civil terms by the time of Adrian's death in December 795. <clears throat> but it wasn't all over yet. Excuse me. This is where the main event begins. So Adrian's successor, Pope Leo III, not to be confused with the Byzantine emperor of the same name, of course, he was not of noble birth, and some even spread rumours that he was an Arab. So as a result, Adrian's family and friends tried to have him eradicated. So on the 25th of April, 799, a group led by the late Pope's nephew attacked Leo while he was on a solemn procession in Rome. Now, they failed in their mission of blinding him and cutting off his tongue, which is something that would have forced him to resign as Pope, but they left him unconscious instead. Luckily, he was actually rescued by passers-by and friends and removed to safety at Charlemagne's court in Paderborn. Now, the two both became good friends, uh, and on Leo's return to Rome in November 799, he found himself facing charges of adultery, simony and perjury. 
Now Charlemagne was suspicious of these wild accusations and moreover questioned how could a pope be tried? So how could God's voice on earth be tried and by whom? Now normally the answer would have been by the emperor in Constantinople, but Irene was on the throne, so a woman passing judgment on a man in medieval Europe was incomprehensible. So as far as Western Europe was concerned, the throne of emperors in Byzantium was vacant. That Irene, a woman, even sat on the throne in the first place, showed how far the Roman Empire had fallen in the eyes of the Pope and Charlemagne. So by the time Charlemagne had reached Rome in November 800, he'd been firmly reminded by Alcuin that he had no more authority to pass judgment on the Pope than Irene did, but he also knew that while the accusations remained unsettled, Christendom lacked both an emperor and a Pope. Now on the 23rd of December, Pope Leo III solemnly swore on the Gospel that the accusations were untrue, and remarkably the Assembly actually accepted the claim and his name was cleared. And two days later, on Christmas Day 800, Pope Leo III laid the imperial crown on Charlemagne's head and crowned him Holy Roman Emperor. But why did Leo give Charlemagne this title of Holy Roman Emperor? It seemed at the time that Charlemagne would prove a more useful ally than a distant Constantinople. So should accusations come against the papacy again, then it would be easier for the accusing party and the papacy to sort it out in Central Europe rather than wait for a response from an emperor on the fringes of Asia. Now, historian John Julius Norwich argues that Leo III created Charlemagne as Holy Roman Emperor because, open quote, The Byzantines had proved so unsatisfactory from every point of view, political, military and doctrinal, he would select a Westerner, the one man who, by his wisdom, his statesmanship and the vastness of his dominions, stood head and shoulders above his contemporaries, close quote. So that's quite an interesting view from John Julius Norwich there. Uh, but even for all the pomp and ceremony and the imperial title being given to him, various chroniclers and historians alike have since argued that it was a complete surprise to Charlemagne that he was awarded this title. So Charlemagne's biographer, the abbot Einhard, claimed that the coronation occurred spontaneously. But despite this argument, regardless if it was spontaneous or carefully rehearsed, the coronation happened and left a Catholic emperor in the West, independent of Byzantium, and the once barbaric Frankish kingdom which Charlemagne had inherited from his father in 768 was now upgraded and dependent on the Pope for its new status. Uh, moreover, Einhard also wrote that Charlemagne claimed that he would never have set foot in the Basilica had he known that Leo would place the imperial crown upon his head. And to an extent this argument rings true, because for the rest of his life Charlemagne continued to style himself as Rex Francorum et Longobardorum, which means King of the Franks and the Lombards, rather than as Holy Roman Emperor. And I'll just quickly skip to the end, because the, basically the remaining years after Charlemagne's coronation saw a few more conquests, further imperial expansion, and surprisingly little involvement in religious matters despite his title, because like I said, he never used it. Uh, and Charlemagne actually died peacefully on the 28th of January 814 in Aachen, where he was buried, and his eldest surviving son, Louis the Pious, succeeded him, I think, as Louis I of France. Uh, maybe a mistake calling him Louis, because there was plenty of them in French history. So, what legacy did Charlemagne leave behind? Well, like I said before, few people have gone down in history as well as Charlemagne. So to this day, he still inspires people from all walks of life. And I don't know if you've heard of sort of an indie music band called Blossoms. They released a song called Charlemagne in 2015, which suggests that people have still heard of him today. So, yeah. Uh, and obviously, despite the claim that he wasn't uninterested in the imperial title, he nevertheless took his role seriously. So the renewed empire was intended to be both Roman and Christian. 
And the historian David Starkey writes that Charlemagne was soldier of the faith and reformer of the church on the one hand, and on the other, restorer of the Roman Empire, whose inheritance of law, language, literature, architecture, and forms of government he was determined to revive. Um, moreover, despite the fact that the Eastern Roman Empire was reduced to Asia Minor and its Mediterranean outposts, Charlemagne, as the secular head of Western Christendom, was the first figure since the Roman emperors to span at least the heart of Europe. So his legacy as Holy Roman Emperor, and Pope Leo III can also be thanked for this, stood the test of time. The Holy Roman Empire was a prominent feature of Europe's political geography until it was dismantled by another Frenchman, one you may have heard of, a guy called Napoleon, in 1806. So for over 1,000 years, this title stood strong and survived numerous European dynasties. So it survived the Plantagenets, the Carolinians, the Habsburgs, the Wallensteins, everyone. So out survived them all. Now, Charlemagne was also canonised, although this process wasn't fully completed until 1165, because his sexual conquests were deemed no less extensive than his imperialistic ones. And it might be something to do with the fact that he had 18 legitimate children with up to 10 wives. I'm not sure though, could have something to do with that, but who knows. <laughs> uh, so to sum up his legacy in simple terms, I'll uh, read a quote from his epitaph on his tomb at Arken, which is sadly lost now, and it read, Beneath this tomb lies the body of Charles, great and orthodox emperor, who nobly increased the kingdom of the Franks and reigned prosperously for 47 years. And I think that sums him up pretty nicely. So thus ends the story of the father of Europe himself, Charlemagne. So thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time.